Welcome back to License to Spiel. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Carl Wonders. And this week we are talking about Moonraker. Yes, we are. The last film of the 70s. They never made any films in the 70s nope, after this. Not at all. But certainly no more, <laughs> no more Bond films. Sadly, it... <laughs> no. I mean, sadly it is Bernard Lee's it last is. film. Uh, at least the last Bond film. Um, I don't know if he did anything after that, and I know he was attempting to do some filming on uh, Free Your Eyes Only, but was unable to do so. Uh, so this is his last appearance as M in the franchise. And as that indicated, uh, Moonraker was released in 1979. Uh, it was written by Christopher Wood, who co-wrote The Spy Who Loved Me. He's on his own this time out. Uh, this is also directed by Lewis Gilbert. It's his last film in the Bond franchise as well, so we're going to say goodbye to a bunch of people and actually usher in a rather consistent era, I think, going forward for a while, of, at least with directing and writing. Um, we're going to see the same names again multiple times going out uh, from here on Speaking out. Speaking of people we thought we had already said goodbye to. Uh-huh. Apparently Mankiewicz wrote a script for this movie that they decided not to use. Oh, did they? That was a smart decision, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they ended up using parts of it later in Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Oh, interesting. Okay, it surprises me not at all, having seen those movies. <laughs> no, now I'm now I'm actually very curious. I want to go check out, see if I can see anything about what was in that. I can tell I you heart... what the scenes were. Oh, go sure. I'd I'd like to hear it. Uh, the jet sequence in the teaser for Octopussy and the Eiffel Tower scene in A View to a Kill. I mean, I'm not. A big octopusy fan, but I actually think that the jet scene is probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> ah, yeah, there, there's very little to like in that movie, so yeah, that's fair. I don't actually remember the Eiffel Tower scene in *If You Do a Kill*. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, so uh, Grace Jones kills the guy with the flying butterfly thing. Oh, and then runs that's away, right. and she she skydives off the off that's of the Eiffel Tower, and he right. chases her in half a car. It was like. I'm, I like I, I remember the Golden Gate Bridge, but yes, apparently Tom Mankiewicz did write an entire screenplay for this movie that they decided, nah, we're not going to use that. No, thank you. Okay, well that's interesting. They also had originally considered filming in India, which they didn't do, but then later did an Octopussy. They move around a lot in this movie. I, I, I at least I always think oh, so yeah. compared to some other films. They they hit a bunch of locations in this one, including outer space. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we go have the U.S., we have Venice, we have Brazil. Rio. Yeah, you know, wherever, where was Drax's lair, actually? That was the one that was in Brazil, off of some river waterfall thing. Yeah, that... right, yeah, but okay, it was still Brazil, yeah, okay. Yeah, because there's also, like, wherever the high plains are that they do their Magnificent Seven ride through as well, is that also supposed to be in Brazil? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like Brazil. Like, it looks like they're in Mexico or something or, at one or point Argentina. when he goes into town. Yeah. Or Argentina, yeah. That that whole... I mean, I laugh at the the Magnificent Seven thing, but <laughs> like, that whole section is just odd. <laughs> yes. We'll get there. So I have to point out to the listeners, and I mentioned this at the first episode, that this is actually the first movie I ever saw in the Bond series. I, I remember really enjoying it as, as, I don't know, like six or seven or however old I was. Uh, I still really like this movie, despite the fact that it is ludicrous and they do a lot of really silly things. Uh, I And, and I kind of harped on 
uh, The Spy Who Loved Me a little bit for not quite knowing what kind of a movie it is, where sometimes it's very serious and other times it's definitely not very serious. This is a movie that it knows what it is and it embraces the fact that it is what it is the whole way through, I think. And it, 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 it makes no apologies for how silly it gets at times. This is the Star Trek four, the bond franchise. Okay. That's, that's, that's some people would, would say it's the Star Trek five of the bond franchise, but okay. No. Cause some people don't like, some people don't like this one. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, I get what you're, I get where you're going with that, but no, yeah. uh, I can think of some more, some better contenders for that title. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, because yes, we've mentioned two of them so far. Yeah, this is a silly Bond movie. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I agree with yeah. you. That's why I'm saying it's like the Star Trek Four, the Bond franchise. They made a lighthearted romp, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think you know we'll probably harp on a few things here and there, but I think they did a pretty good job of. Mm-hmm. They they made the movie that they wanted to make. I think. Yeah. And yeah. Although I will say, as I'm watching this movie, like partway through, I'm like. Man, at this point in the movie, I don't think anyone could guess that this movie is going to end with laser battles in outer space. Probably not. Like, it takes a really yeah. long time before you have any idea they're going to go into space. <laughs> right. Other than the, the shuttle being stolen in the beginning. But even then... Yeah, so, I have, so let's talk about that. I have some complaints mm-hmm. about that. About which part? Why is there a button to turn on the shuttle's engines? in the airplane <laughs> right i mean my question is do they really fly them fully fueled i wouldn't think so because it would be wouldn't heavy. that be a lot of wouldn't that be a lot of weight yeah but even then why is there a button in the airplane cockpit to turn on the shuttle's engines there are there are some interesting buttons i think in the moonraker series of space shuttles and we'll get to one towards the end okay no i'm sorry it wasn't a no it's not that there's a button it's there's a there wasn't a button in the cockpit. There's a light that comes on to indicate if the shuttle has been ha- if the shuttle has been ignited, which is even more ridiculous. Right. It, yeah. Because that's even yeah. They're they're not connected. Less redi- <laughs> less likely to a scenario to need to know when the shuttle has been when the shuttle is blasting off. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, and I also like you know they they bothered to put that warning light on the the plane right mm-hmm. and they're flying this thing and and apparently the co-pilot has no idea what this is because he's like what is that and the other pilot like, just reads he has it. no he's idea like, yeah. yeah he's like shuttle ignition oh dear um, and of course they somehow blow up the plane without blowing up the shuttle yeah uh, i don't think it would blow up the plane you know presumably this is the same space shuttle that nasa launched i mean this was a couple years earlier than uh the the first columbia launch but I don't think you can fly a shuttle very far. I don't think it's meant to no. actually go anywhere. It just lands. Yeah. Uh, so it's, where are they taking they the shuttle? They clearly designed it off the NASA space shuttle. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, of course. Which means this movie was inspired both by Star Trek and Star Wars. I mean, both by Star Wars and Indeed. Star Trek. Because the first NASA space shuttle was the Enterprise. Yes, that's right. Although that one never flew anywhere. No, but it was still called the Enterprise. Uh so, I don't think the plane would blow up. The shuttle is moving very quickly. I think the cockpit would get singed. It's in, also entirely possible the pilots would die. I don't think the entire plane would blow up. Probably not. No, I think you're right. I think it would have been a neater scene if they had left the shuttle docked to the plane and, like, the whole thing takes off and, like, the plane falls apart from the speed or something. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think that would have been Yeah, cool. so they ripped the top off the plane or something? Yeah. Or, or... 
Okay. Either way. Well, maybe we're down to, you know, late 70s model work things. That's true. Um, I do think, and we'll get to her to towards the end, I mean, it's no, certainly not Star Wars, but I think the effects are actually quite good in this. They're not bad, no. For the most part. Uh, most, no. Mostly very good, probably because, I mean, they're all practical effects, obviously, because this is the late 70s. We didn't quite have yep. the ability to do non-practical effects yet. Right. The first movie with an entirely CG scene wouldn't be for another three years, and that was a CG scene that was supposed to be a computer rendering. So, yeah, no, they, they weren't doing CGI in 79. And I think it, it definitely holds up very well, because we had gotten to the point where practical effects were very good. They didn't, in, they mostly don't look cheesy for big-budget films. And that's, that's why, honestly, the effects in this kind of hold up better than they do in the Brosnan era. Did the effects ever hold up in the Brosnan era? I mean, did anyone ever think that that, that wind-sailing scene looked good? <laughs> I don't think so, no. So actually, you know, I, I and I could be wrong, but I remember reading somewhere that the first ever computer-generated anything imagery that was in a film was in another film from this year that I, I would bet 50-50 you haven't seen, although it's a science fiction movie, so maybe you have. Uh, it's the black hole which is a disney film i you know i watched that and because i just watched it a few months ago and tagged you in my that's movie. right yes so Man, that, that movie opening credits no idea that, how to end that it, opening so. <laughs> no it didn't uh the opening credit sequence of the green lines and stuff was all rendered by computer oh okay and and that came out in 1979 coincidentally it also had a score by john barry and if you ever listen to the two back to back you can hear a lot of similarities in in hmm. the music from those two movies because he did both of them uh he like i guess he has a way of scoring space so to that speak that is a but weird we'll movie yeah. it is a weird movie i actually i enjoy that movie too even though it makes no sense at the end there's a there's an entire genre of space movies that like get super weird and make no sense by the end. That's true. Yeah. Like I just watched Event Horizon the other month. Talk about a That's another messed one. Messed up movie. Yeah, yeah. They're going to make a TV show of that one, I think. <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. And then uh did you ever see Sunshine? I really enjoy the first 3 quarters of Sunshine. Same. And yeah, and then it completely goes off. The We've talked about sunshine yeah, when we were doing yeah, talking I just about the we threshold. We talked about this when we did threshold on Delta Flyer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, speaking of things that fall off the rails in the final act, we talked about sunshine. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm saying. That's like an entire genre of movie, and I blame 2001: A Space Odyssey. Although I think some of the later movies did it better. Yeah, I think that's the yeah, that's really where it it started. All right. So, yeah, we have the space shuttle scene and then we have the ridiculous plane scene with Bond. Well, we get the little brief scene with M where he gets a phone call about, you know, the Moonraker. He goes out and asks Money Penny where Bond is and she said he's back yet from his wherever he is and she says he's on his last leg and we cut to him feeling up this woman's leg on the plane so was it last week that we talked about how the padded doors seem to have had a budget cut or was that two weeks ago yeah this time he has one padded door he has one padded door that i don't even think can close <laughs> i think it was 
I think it was the man with the golden gun where they just were cheap. It was cheap padding. Yeah. This is decent padding, but it's only on one of the doors, and the, he doesn't even keep the door closed. Right. He just It's just, like, ajar a little bit. And, like, I'd have to go back and read the history of... I mean, I probably, which means I won't. Um, <laughs> the, the history of how these... Where these films were made. I know that this film was filmed primarily in France. Because Roger Moore was a Texan. But it style. seems like this is the same set. Right. Just like uh, John Barry and Guy Hamilton and a whole bunch of other people. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, I, I read somewhere that the, the British tax code was taxing uh, creative people or, you know, performers, musicians, and that sort of thing. Like, the upper income bracket was something like 70-something percent income tax, so I can see why they didn't want to live in Britain. I can, too. Although, I'm thinking in the 70s, that was... It was pretty similar over here too it's only in the u.s at least it's only been since the 80s that we've had uh relatively low tax brackets yeah yeah like i mean since the reagan yeah administration came in yeah but yeah we get the he's on his last leg and then right in this scene the first scene where we see roger moore in that very first scene he kind of looks ancient he kind of does i was struck by how 60s this plane looks <laughs> there's that too it's got, like, a <laughs> I mean, weird, like, wallpaper thing going on. Wallpaper right. designed to look like concrete for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> we got the those weird curved, like, little tray tables and that little, I don't know what that control device is up towards the cockpit. But yeah, so, so here's my question in this whole thing. They're going to kill Bond, but they don't just, again, this is, we, we harp on this every time. Him. Just shoot him. <laughs> We're going to shoot the... We're going to shoot out the controls of the plane and then jump out or, you know, not give you a parachute. And fisticuffs ensue. I don't know why the guy is wearing a uh, football helmet from the 1920s, but that's kind of what it looks like he's wearing I like here. his mustache, though. Yeah, he has a, he has a good it's a very he, He's got a very going. henchman look to him. He does. We get the, the patented Roger Moore oof sound <laughs> when he gets pushed out of the plane. Without a parachute. Jaws is wearing a very shiny shirt. He is. Where was Jaws? That's true. Where was Jaws? <laughs> but he's there now. He pushes out Bond. Now, I think these are some great stunts. Yeah. I like how Bond goes all point break on it. Although, really, I guess you could say point break went all Moonraker. I don't know the physics behind this. Can you... I know you can speed up and slow down based on how much drag you're producing. Mythbusters here, but... did it... Once, okay. I think and found that yes, you can go faster based on how you do your body, but not enough to actually do this. Okay. Well, especially like there's no way Jaws catches up to Bond. Well, because Jaws has his arms and legs outstretched. If anything, yeah. he should have more drag. Right. Also, he's just bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that one doesn't work at all. Jaws is breaking the laws of physics. Sometimes you can see the. The hidden parachute under the jackets but it still works relatively well it does and i like when jaws bites bond's leg yeah i do like the whole you know pulling the ripcord thing it... and then he tries to fly he yeah <laughs> i mean jaws was always a ridiculous character but they just make him act really stupid at times in this mm -hmm. in this movie that that might be might be one of my bigger complaints about this movie is just the way they treat jaws throughout you know he tries to fly he then crashes into the circus tent they make them, They also continue this indestructible thing they had going on the last movie where 
you know, he can free fall into a circus tent and be fine later. Although we don't really know that for a while. I mean, yeah, that was... That indestructible Jaws was introduced last movie, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that he's actually still alive at all right now. Well, he bit the shark, you know. Yeah. But then he was, like, in the middle of the ocean, and he managed to swim somewhere. Yeah. The wrong way, I think we said. Or you said. Mm -hmm. We get a uh, girls jumping on trampolines credit sequence this time. Also, because I can't help myself now, I still yeah. think they are wearing bikini bottoms. I <laughs> incredibly closely, to be sure. Okay. So, somebody, someone has to. I hate what this podcast has done to me. Oh. <laughs> At least we're no longer talking about Sean Connery's back hair. <laughs> True. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's anything particularly memorable about either the credits here or the song. But I actually mm -hmm. like both in the film. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Shirley Bassey coming back again for the third time. Mm -hmm. uh, we will talk about a Shirley Bassey song that was not used in once we get to the Craig era. This is her last uh, theme song Wait, that she's they were actually going to use done. a Shirley Bassey song in the Craig era. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, yeah, it's not bad. Listeners, stay tuned. It is better than the song they they chose. Oh, then you must not be talking about Casino Royale. I am not. No. <laughs> yeah, this... You, you mentioned this when they cut to Bond on the plane. Uh, this is the first indication of Bond, of Roger Moore is getting old, I think, in this yeah. movie. He doesn't look bad, but no. he definitely looks older. He does. Uh, I'd say he looked super young in Live and Let Die, and then he looked... Mm -hmm. He was in his prime in golden gun and spy who loved me and now he is starting to show his age yeah. a little bit and i'd always thought that it happened in the next movie after this one and i'm wondering if it's just because i'm seeing it in you know 4k or blu-ray quality that the lines on his face are showing a little bit more here uh we get we get to see frederick gray again who's a nice little bit of continuity with him uh he mm -hmm. comes back again next time and and then q and they do this weird briefing that you called attention to uh, in your notes yeah because the the mirror in m's office turns into a tv with the press of a button and there's no reason that m needs a secret tv in his office yeah uh, no and i was i was stuck on q's ridiculous pointer that he's using and i didn't even think about the fact that there's no reason to hide a screen in m's office well q's ridiculous pointer is like yeah, that's also weird. Um, but <laughs> also, that's not a real TV, um, because this was 1979, and you did not have a TV that you could not have a TV that size that was that close to the wall. No, because <laughs> unless we cut to the, we don't see that wall. So maybe there's a giant box <laughs> on the other side of the wall. 
<laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But uh, this is this is also where Q gives Bond the wrist dart thing, which I actually think is a clever gadget. It's one of my. It's the. I mean, it's the first one I ever really saw in a film in in, in the Bond series, and and it's it's one I still like. I think it's a, a neat little thing. And he immediately defaces a painting in M's office. Oh, thank you, 007. <laughs> I'm really going to miss Bernard Lee. I know. I know. He's so good. Uh, Q gives Bond his replacement darts in totally not a cassette tape case. Yeah, you're right. That is definitely a cassette case. <laughs> yeah. And then we're off to California for about five seconds and then they're yeah, not in california it anymore unnecessary to include california but we include it anyway yeah uh and here is one scene where i don't think the practical effects hold up quite as well the when they're flying over the model of drax's yeah place that is it is very obviously a model <laughs> yeah yeah the that moonraker facility thing is the it's, there's something about these scale models that sometimes it just doesn't work, and I yeah I have, a, I have a hard time putting my finger on what's wrong with the shot other than it's obviously a model. Yeah, no, I the same same. I it doesn't. There's not one any one thing that's bad about it. It just doesn't look real. Right. Yeah. And then we get the French villa that right. he had created over all the way from france and you'd think when they disassembled it stone by stone they would have power washed those stones <laughs> yeah you would think because they're pretty dirty <laughs> yeah oh well, I mean, who knows when they moved it here right i suppose i mean obviously the reason that he has a french villa in california is because we're filming in france no but, yeah Sorry. This is not California. You just broke my suspension of disbelief. I, I know. They fly over a bunch of people doing calisthenics here. And again, I, I kind of like that these, uh, you know, who we find out who these people are. But I like the way they're kind of teased throughout. Like, you see little bits of them here and there and not really explanation for who they are or why they're around. And then we find out later. I should point out that Corin Cleary, who plays the pilot is dubbed but i can't confirm or deny that it's nikki vanderzel this time it's some somebody is dubbing her i don't know who <laughs> and we get we meet drax and we meet another henchman with another mustache we do drax is absolutely 100 percent playing the piano here in this scene too oh totally so i have always hated facial hair like drax's okay where it's like almost a full beard but for whatever reason, they decide to cut off an inch between the sideburns and the beard. <laughs> so it's like in between a goatee and a beard. Right. And yeah, like one or the other, man. One or the other. Yeah. But I I do think... I, I do definitely think that um, Michael Lonsdale is just perfect as a Bond villain. He really is. Um He's, you know, he's obviously, he's a French actor. He gets some of the best lines, I think, that a villain gets to say in the series. At least, I think so. He's, he has that great demeanor. He's very calm. He's, but he's, he's definitely, you, the minute you meet him, you know he's the bad guy. 
Like, there's no, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah, he has a sinister air to him, but, yeah, he's also definitely in control. He's definitely the best villain we've seen in a while. Yeah, I would... I mean, when was the last good villain? <laughs> it's been a bit. Yeah, it really has, hasn't it? <laughs> Blofeld in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. But probably not since then. <laughs> what, not Charles Gray? Because we had <laughs> Charles Gray. <laughs> and then uh, the... Oh, man. Yafit Kodo. Yafit Kodo was a great actor, but no one could have saved no. that role. Um, Christopher Lee gets wasted. The same applies to yeah. Christopher Lee. <laughs> and then, yeah, last week we had that other guy. I don't even know that actor's name. Oh, Kurt Jurgens. Yeah. Yeah. He's just sort of there. Well, like... Stromberg is just a this is a so Drax to me is a better version of Stromberg mm-hmm. I mean the, he's the, also a rich you know reclusive guy with megalomaniacal tendencies and yeah I think it definitely works better with Drax who wants to wipe out the human race uh it it, it feels to me and I, and I think I said this it obviously you know this movie's a lot sillier than The Spy Who Loved Me but I feel like this is the same movie done better yeah, I can see that. And I know better's a, better's a very subjective term, but... We have a stolen military asset in the beginning, and then, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where you're going with that. I mean, there are some things that maybe aren't necessarily a step up from the previous film. We meet the infamously named Dr. Holly Goodhead here. <laughs> a woman? Oh. Your powers of observation do you credit, Mr. Bond? I like Lois Childs in a lot of these scenes. There are just some that I don't quite get the way she's playing the character, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I like her more when she's being cold and dismissive, like when we first meet her. I don't know. I, I think she's fine. She's not my favorite of the women that we see with Bond, but she's certainly not near the bottom either. Right. No, she's she's totally fine. And she's also, because, you know, I've mentioned it in like four episodes at this point, she's also obviously an influence on... Um, the Deep Space Nine episode, Our Man Bashir. Yes, yeah. Like, I would say Honey Bear is definitely patterned off yeah. Holly Goodhead. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Gotta work in that Star Trek reference again. You know, because I haven't mentioned it already, like, four times. That's true. <laughs> Gotta stay on brand. Rewrite again, too, who knows. I mean, Holly Goodhead, I, I really don't think is in on the attempt to murder Bond like everyone else in this facility. No, I don't think so. And I don't even know if everyone else is. I don't... Drax sends his henchman guy to replace the ah that's a good point instructor up there i i think the instructor needs to be fired for leaving his post like that we we failed to mention the first of the great drax lines when bond is being led away to go meet dr goodhead and he turns to his henchman was it chang or cha or something like that uh he says look after mr bond see that some harm comes to him yeah that's pretty good which is a good line but yeah so she he goes off to try out this uh centrifuge yep and at one point you can actually see a little bit of a boom mic following him as he's walking up to it yeah and i hadn't noticed that until you pointed it out and i i just yeah i couldn't that that's a boom mic miss it because i was looking at the bell bottoms (laughs) this is the last movie with the bell bottoms right tell me it's the last movie with the bell bottoms this might be the last movie with the bell bottoms other than his gun barrel which he's gonna have bell bottoms all the way through yeah uh view to kill yeah, that's true. Oh, well. Uh, so, anyway, we have the centrifuge, and obviously we have Chekhov's It'll Kill You If You Turn It All The Way Up. Right. 
and then because that would never happen oh no like why does it have the setting that kills people but anyway uh chang takes over from the regular technician and turns the dial that is totally not a rotary phone dial and uh yeah like it's it's so obvious like that was cracking me up just because it's clearly a phone um but anyway yeah (laughs) i want to know you know why do they make this thing so easy to turn off the safety feature and the centrifuge where he just kind of unscrews the little thing and up we're you know that's good yeah i'm not sure yeah but i like how we get as bond is fading out he remembers hitting defacing m's painting and that's what makes him use the thing yes yeah you get that little quick cut of it yeah which is nice i like that yeah no that, that's a good touch um i like the seat a lot i mean the obvious undercranking they do at one point to show how fast the thing's going aside i they they do a good job like there must be like an air hose or something that's blowing air in his face because it makes his his cheeks like move like he's being mm-hmm. spun around really fast i mean that's a that's a good addition i think to making it look like this is really happening yeah i'm not sure would hitting a dart into the the front of the cockpit thing completely turn it off i i don't know uh the speed at which it slows down seems like that could be problematic too yes it i think that would the inertia would definitely be bad yeah um i do like though you know at, at the end he he gets out he he's affected by this he doesn't just get up and walk away he's clearly mm-hmm. He needs he needs some recovery time here, which is a nice touch that you don't often get with him, especially with more. I I don't think. No, and you should with more, especially because he looks, you know, old. <sighs> he looks old. I think that's just going to be a common yeah. refrain in every Bond movie. Look, Bond looks old. Well, especially from now on until uh, Timothy Dalton comes around. Yeah, if we definitely. think he looks old now, just wait till you do a kill. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he was old then. Oh yes. So. Anyway, Bond then, uh, you know, sneaks into a woman's bedroom at night, because, you know, that's something he does. Bond will be Bond. Bond got a Bond, I guess, in more ways than one. I mean, she was flirting with him before, oh, but yeah. still. No, it, it works, and he sneaks into Drax's office, and we have yet another way to crack a safe. Yeah, it's like every every movie, they have a completely different way to open up a safe. I like this one with this little x-ray thing. That's cool. Yeah. I'm not sure how well that would actually work when, you know, looking through metal, but it's cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, my... my <laughs> He holds it up... So it's a little x-ray thing. He holds it up to her and says, you have a heart of gold, and she says 18 carat. And I'm like, 18 carat is not pure gold. Not even like, close. That's impure. What? No. <laughs> we get this... We find out that James Bond continues his amazing ability of finding exactly the right materials in a safe. <laughs> and then takes pictures with it with the least why say the, the least secret camera ever. Why does his camera say 007 on it? <laughs> He's the worst spy I... in the history of spies. He's up there. Like there's no reason to do that and it really is just like a way to be like hey look this guy's a spy <laughs> i mean that's the stuff that you get you make fun of in austin powers mm-hmm. yes that is exactly the sort of thing you would make fun of in austin powers yeah yeah but i mean yeah bond 
for supposedly being a great spy, he's very bad at being secret. And <laughs> we've, we've talked about that many times. Like, it feels like an Adam West thing. Like, it's like, you know, the bat camera. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, next day we have a duck hunt or grouse hunt or some sort of bird hunt. And Drax is wearing an outfit that is definitely a choice. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to have no doubt that you are grouse hunting (laughs) you would wear this outfit that's true (laughs) it even has a grouse feather in the hat it does i I especially like that like he's wearing an ascot with a giant metal button on it a metal snap in the middle (laughs) it's like this is okay he really thought this outfit through and he has two more random women with him that are wearing a similar outfit that once again like before he just says meet these two people and then sends them away because i guess he just keeps company like that yeah bond's outfit is also interesting you pointed out drax's outfit i i want to know why bond is wearing a suit that seems to be made from those furniture protector pads you buy from u-haul when you move because <laughs> and why is he wearing a like in why is he wearing an embroidered brown tie yeah well it is one of those like flat bottom ties that people used to wear a lot the knitted ties but this is this takes knitted tie to a whole new level here. Yes. And he, like, straight up shoots one of Drax's henchmen, who was admittedly trying yep. to shoot him, but, like, is that, like, okay? Like, you can, like, you can, you can just shoot that guy and walk away and Drax isn't gonna do anything? Yeah. I do like the setup and the punchline with this whole gag, though. Drax has convinced Bond to take part in the shooting of the grouse and he's tracking a bird and then he shoots at it and the bird flies away and... Drax says you missed and then the guy falls out of the tree and he's like did I as you said such good sport <laughs> and then we have the scene where the dogs hunt down the woman and kill her because yeah that's pretty brutal stuff it's a very brutal scene also why didn't she get on the golf cart and drive away I don't think the golf cart would outrun a dog but it still seems like a better option than running, running through, through the, woods. the forest yeah but anyway but, I mean, I like the way it's shot and everything. I... And it's to tell us that Drax is, in fact, brutal. Which we probably should have guessed already, because he's tried to kill Bond twice. Yes. And I, I like the fact that she gets, you know, the dogs jump on her, and she they she, they fall to the ground, and there's, like, the, the tolling of the bell, and then that cuts to the bell ringing in Venice, I think is a nice little that works, yes. transition. So we find out that Bond is in Venice, presumably because he took pictures of that... Uh, the blueprints or whatever he found, he, they find the glass maker in Venice. Yeah, and he walks in and says he wants to look around, and the woman at the desk is like, go anywhere you wish. I'm like, really? Yeah, that doesn't seem safe. Especially, like, where they're blowing glass and doing all sorts of stuff, and some of it secret. Because <laughs> I, I think she's one of the, the people we see later. I think so, yes. So, like, she's there to... She's, like, I guess, inform, told to keep an eye on Bond rather than stop him. But, yeah, the next time we see Bond, he's just wandering around the back, you know, where they're melting the glass down and building these weird little hexagonal tube things, and no one seems to care that he's there. The tour guide gives him a weird look. True. But I think the tour guide is also one of the women we see later. I think so. I also like how Bond hides from Goodhead by hiding behind a completely clear vase. <laughs> or hides from the tour group in general by by standing behind yes. a completely clear vase. So yeah, then he follows Goodhead because he saw her there on the tour and she steps out. And 
Ah, Bond. Yeah. I like to keep abreast of things. That and the, I forget you're much more than just a very beautiful woman or something like that. It's just, ugh. Bond's gonna bond. I guess. He's better in this than he is in some of them. Uh, So, then we get the, and again, why not just, why let Bond get away and then shoot him in the canal with this ridiculous got assassin in a coffin thing that they apparently already must have had set up before they even (laughs) there's just so much that makes no sense about this all right so so we you know i was talking about how this is a silly film and everything and it gets a bad rap and all that if you just excise this little this beat i think almost all of those critiques go away (laughs) i mean yeah the space stuff is silly but this is, this is like, the most ludicrous... Yeah, like, the guy's hiding in the coffin, he gets up, like, a vampire or something and throws knives at people. And then they, they, they planned all of this out, but they didn't plan the fact that they're going to go under a bridge that's too short for the coffin. I do like the guy that's smoking that sees the coffin and throws away his cigarette. It's a nice little... Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good guy. Yeah. I don't even mind Bond's, like, motorboat... Uh, gondola no so much i don't mind the motorboat part of the gondola no i i don't need the driving on the street part of the gondola how is that in any way inconspicuous once again worst <laughs> spy ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah try not to draw attention to yourself james yeah so yes just wow then we get probably the most infamous moment in a bond film the pigeon double take the double take pigeon yeah but the judgmental dog is good I love Judgmental Dog. If we just had Judgmental Dog, it'd be great. We get Victor Trojanski again, who's the guy with the wine bottle, who is the same guy with the wine bottle from the beach in the last movie, doing exactly the same thing where he looks at his wine bottle and puts it down and thinks he's had too much to drink. Yeah, that works. You get some dumb dumb beats like the guy pouring beer in the guy's head. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could do without all of that. Because you could just cut to Bond sneaking back into the glass factory the next that, that night. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Bond sneaks back into the glass factory that night. (laughs) Yes, he does. And this is where he finds that there's scientists in lab coats with things that are going in those hexagonal tubes and then going in big round globe things. And something is radioactive because there's big radioactive symbols. Apparently. I was about to say you forgot to mention something, but then I remembered that I don't think you've seen this movie. The sounds that you hear on the key code close encounters thing is actually the famous notes from close encounters yeah i have also not seen close encounters but i read the james bond wiki okay (laughs) now this is one of those scenes that actually scared the crap out of me when i was a little kid i can see that yeah these guys dying because bond is i i don't know he's just being clumsy or not clumsy but he's uh carelessly leaving this vial of liquid on the side of this cart yeah, well, he had no idea that it was a deadly neurotoxin, but yes. No, of course not, no. And, alright, we find out what this stuff is later. Yeah. I don't know how a nerve gas would work that would kill people but not affect I animals. I made that same complaint. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a neuroscience background, that... but I know that that human neuros- neural systems and the majority of animal systems are pretty much the same. Yeah, they work the same way. Yeah. So I, I have trouble with the idea of a deadly neurotoxin that would not kill animals. Yeah, I don't think that... That's not how nerve gas works. Yeah, but in the Bond movie it does. Yep. <laughs> so then 
we when he leaves the factory he gets challenged by Chang waving a giant stick of bamboo and and being about as loud as you could possibly oh, be he's so loud and then they <laughs> and then they fight in the museum destroying all this priceless glass and of course bond is like and bond almost throws the 10 million dollar vase and then thinks better of it and puts it back down and then chang just destroys it right but then we conveniently see the crates that are going to rio de janeiro yeah that's 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 very uh, handy I did read, and I don't know if it was on the James Bond wiki or somewhere else, that this scene broke a record for the most breakaway glass in a scene in a film. I believe it. There's a lot, and it might still be, and it might still be this be the the record holder here. Yeah, because then even once you're done in that museum room, he still then goes through the glass of the giant clock. He does. So Bond shows up in another woman's bedroom. Yep, he has a habit of doing that. Just a bit. And this is where we find out that Goodhead is CIA. Right, who are also not very good at being secret. No, and they're... She's a little bit better than him. There's this whole thing about how they don't want to share, and it's like, were we not allies at this time? I mean, why is... What's with this rivalry? (laughs) I understood it last movie. (laughs) Yeah, I've always understood this more of... It's not necessarily them working together, it's, it's just her banter about being partners with bond so it's more of a personal thing than a professional one Hmm. okay some of the cia gadget stuff makes little sense to me (laughs) you know i would totally believe the cia has all sorts of gadgets that make no sense (laughs) true i love the giant antenna that comes out of her her uh, purse at one point i like how after bond leaves she calls down to have the porter come up for her bags with a phone that's not actually connected to the base that's yeah i don't know if you noticed that (laughs) no i i didn't so there's a cord coming out of the handset but it does not go into the hole on the the cradle (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah there's a big hole there that is empty yes how about that i mean that's a standard thing they do in films just so that you don't get stuff dragged around or whatever but yeah that's pretty bad that's pretty bad (laughs) <laughs> i mean since yeah they could have gotten a phone that went the other way or something so you didn't see the giant hole yeah yeah again something i wouldn't have noticed when watching this on in the 90s on cable true on a smaller tv with standard def and everything maybe I, so you you can talk about the line that you you noticed here yeah. but i i just want to i i just want to be i'm confused why bond would bring m and Frederick Gray to this I'm confused like, why he potentially would bring dangerous laboratory there. Yeah. Like yeah. he should be yeah. calling in like the like toxic spill or talk to- or you know hazardous substances people or something. Right. But anyway, it is nice because we have like the one reference to the book here when uh mm-hmm. Gray says that uh he, that he plays bridge with this fellow Drax. Yep. Which, uh, like, a third of the book is devoted to Bond exposing, or Bond, not exposing, but uh, getting Drax back for cheating at Bridge and to prevent him from doing so again. Yeah, in a way, it's sort of, um, that whole sequence in the book reminds me a bit of The Sting, Mm -hmm. when Paul Newman is on the train. Yes. 
I have where seen they movie. know he cheats. So they just they yeah, <laughs> that's why I mentioned it because I remember you saying that. Where I mean, it's the same thing where they're basically we know this guy cheats, so we're gonna cheat better than he does. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they they go into the room where the lab was, and it just it's now this very elaborate office that Drax is in. How many people had to do that? Had to like work overtime to get it to this condition in those few hours. I don't know because that's that's quite. A, I mean, if you go back to the first scene, it is the same room. There's just all that other stuff in there, but, but still. still, yeah, that's a quite a that's quite a dismantling overnight. Mm-hmm. And I like how Drax is there, just basically just to rub it in Bond's face that he got him, that he you know had, is smarter than him. I like the um, so they they go in and they they put gas masks on because Bond saw this nerve gas or whatever it is take out these scientists, and Drax says, "Frederick Gray, what a surprise! An indistinguished company all wearing gas masks." must excuse me, gentlemen, not being English. I sometimes find your sense of humor rather difficult to follow. Yes. <laughs> Which I think is a good line. It is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Frederick Gray is clearly put off by this whole thing. He's very embarrassed and tells M to send Bond home. And this is like one of the times where... this is This is why I really like Bernard Lee, because... You know, he, he believes Bond and he goes along with, well, I'm going to send you on vacation. Where would you like to go? And he says, I'd like to go to Rio. And he says, okay. Uh, fully aware of why Bond wants to go to Rio. Yes. Although I'm not sure how much he is, how much he knew. Like, he's following with Bond, but also when Bond shows him the vial, he's like, oh, so there was a lab- laboratory. So he wasn't, like, yeah. so convinced. No, 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 but that, I mean, that happened afterwards, right? He gives him the vial, yeah. and then he says, well, I have to I have to do what this guy tells me, because right. he's kind of his boss, and... Yeah. So, yeah, he, 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 he they, they collude a little bit here and get, send Bond to Rio on the auspices of his, him taking a, a leave of absence where he's actually just continuing his, his uh, trail here. Yeah, which, yeah, that, this is a way to work and then we have a nice scene where drax is talking to someone on the phone henchman's rs i guess i guess like so i'm i'm and i, I put it in my notes i'm like i'm confused as to who he's talking to because it also sounds like he's giving progress reports on the plan it's blofeld like i'm yeah i'm like was there a blofeld component to this or a similar you know some some higher up person that we didn't get in the ultimate ultimately in the film or something maybe i I don't know but i do like he's like when i need it i need a new uh he needs a replacement for chang and he's like oh if you can get him of course yeah so then we cut to jaws walking through and like my first thought is oh wow this is the this is the 70s for sure because it's just people walking through a metal detector before getting on a plane and carrying their bags and everything with them and i'm just like whoa never seen anyone do that in an airport just you know be able to walk straight through the only security is a metal detector yeah i can only i could count on one hand the number of times i was able to do that and this is when i'm watching this i'm like i I didn't actually realize that the concord was around that long he's he arrives in uh he arrives in rio on the concord i'm like wow they had the concord in 79 and yeah apparently yes they did they did yeah it was uh 
Yeah, the, the, the first flight was in 1969, so it had been around for 10 years. So I like the moment. Um, so we get another scene of Bond in a car leaving an airport and being tailed by somebody who is being uh, doing a terrible job of not seeming like she's taking his picture. Um, and there's a great little moment of Roger Moore where he just kind of looks back and then looks forward and is like, oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> like, I also don't know who gets picked up from the airport in a Rolls Royce other than James Bond. Who else? Well, everyone in, uh, everyone who goes to that ho- that that one hotel in, uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. That's true, yeah. That one's not green, though, in this movie. That's true. And we meet the woman who's in the, uh, car tailing him. Somehow she gets to this room before he does. Somehow. Also, can we talk about the ridiculous couches in this room? like overstuffed <laughs> yellow couches yeah they don't look very comfortable no. those those are quite the cushions on that couch and i'm gonna i'm gonna ask this and it's gonna sound a little harsher than i really mean okay it. why is manuela in this movie i have no idea i mean other than bond meets her and then within five minutes he's undoing her shirt because bond needs a third a fourth woman to sleep with in this movie, I guess. Are you counting the airline? I was counting the person, air, the, the person the in the beginning because he would have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he would have. Uh, we get another carnival scene that reminds me a bit of uh, the one in Thunderball. A little bit, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure everyone knew that Jaws was under that under that clown mask. Like everyone watching this movie for the yes. first time. I will say that that whole thing and the the other giant heads are nightmare fuel for kids oh god yes (laughs) i am positive i had nightmares of jaws and a clown head as a kid oh no that is creepy as heck that it is yeah uh, like the way the eyes like move back and forth i do like how jaws is about to bite down on her neck and then he has to dance around because the partiers come by i love so yeah and then they come by again when bond is there and I love the way he starts trying to fight his way out of the crowd, and then he just goes, oh, heck with it, and he starts dancing with them as they leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just gives up at one point. <laughs> and then we cut to, like, some people in fursuits playing music. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> what is this? Do they, do they do that in Rio? I don't... I have no idea. I'm confused about the chicken wearing a fursuit, though. Yeah... But yes, that's just strange. Also, 7-Up. I don't know about you, but this movie makes me want to drink some 7-Up. I-, I can't imagine it's why. It's almost like they sponsored this movie. <laughs> I mean, did you see the guy that's dancing with the 7-Up shirt? Oh, yeah. Before he goes into the thing that says 7-Up? Yeah, and there's a 7-Up billboard later when the the ambulance drives by. Yeah, there's it's a lot of 7-Up. Rio is like the product placement capital of the world right now. Do they even have sell 7-Up in Brazil? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe? Man, I haven't had 7-Up in like 20 years. Uh, I'm not actually... I like it. It's okay. I have nothing against it. It's not something I get thirsty for. I'm sad they don't make DNL anymore. <laughs> yeah, I remember DNL. <laughs> so we have the... We have a scene where Bond is looking out at the airport that is... Like, does it not flood in Rio? That feels like a bad place to put an airport yeah i mean it's like at sea level (laughs) i mean that's that's the real airport so (laughs) i guess it must is it the real airport yeah i mean it looks like they're actually in rio (laughs) okay i guess 
or at least the plates behind them in some shots might be in Rio. I don't. I was assuming it was like an industrial Drax specific airport or something, but I guess it could be like just the regular Rio airport. It just feels like it's really, really close to the water. It it do- really does, yeah. Like if you misjudge that landing, you're you know here in the water. Yeah, basically. Plus, I'm just thinking, you know, like a storm and like the whole thing gets flooded. Yeah, or yeah, any kind of storm surge or mm-hmm. like a any sort of earthquake under the water or anything like that would be that would be bad. Yeah. So Bond and Goodhead are. are kind of agreeing to work together they, they each call each other out for abandoning the other person when they were in venice you know and and be, bond being bond he does like the hand thing immediately mm-hmm. uh and then they get on the cable car to go back down to uh to the city but jaws is here and some hijinks ensue so first jaws just stops the cable car by holding the wheel for a bit yep he doesn't bend it or anything he just holds it well, and then he, and then he stops it finally with a glare. Yeah, that's the really impressive part. And then he bites yeah. through a cable that doesn't actually do anything, except make Bond fall off the side of the car for some reason. Yeah, but like it's not a cable, a structurally important cable. It's it's as we see later, it's not even required to make the car move. Like, what is this cable for? Yeah, I I have no idea what. <laughs> yeah, I've never figured that out. <laughs> We get some interesting bits of dialogue when he falls over and... Hang on, James! The thought had occurred to me. And she somehow gets gets him up off the, the ground, or off the side of the car, as Jaws shows up. I might have guessed. Do you know him? Not socially. His name's Jaws. He kills people. It kills people, <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a fight here on top of the cable car before they... Yeah, we still have Roger Moore fighting, which is not great. No. I, I think Roger Moore fighting or Roger Moore fighting Richard Keel is probably the worst fighting yes. combination you can have. Because neither one I mean... is very quick. <laughs> no. <laughs> so then Bond's sort of ziplining down the cable, and the henchman at the bottom is just repeatedly tapping the button to make the cable car go faster? I guess that's how buttons work. I guess. <laughs> I want to know how strong Bond is. Very. That he was made, he was able to hold on to that? Yeah. To hold on to a chain and hold his weight and her weight the whole way down this car, yeah. this, this cable. I don't know where they go. I guess they jump off at one point, right before the car hits them. Yes. And then the car plows into the Seven Up restaurant, as as you would, yeah. Because there are no there are no safety mechanisms on this thing. And Jaws falls in love. Jaws falls in love. So you can probably tell me the name of that musical piece. <sighs> I should be able to, but I can't off the top of my head. But okay, fair enough. I will look it up so that I can actually tell you the answer. Um, it is famous. I just don't know what it is. It's it's a very famous piece of music, yeah. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, I just assumed you knew all music. Uh, oh, it's from it's my. I'm guessing it's the Tchaikovsky Romeo and Juliet piece, but or is it the Chopin? No, Chopin's what he's playing on the piano. 
but it's it's the stereotypical these two people are falling in love mm-hmm. piece of music. I won't hum it for the benefit of our listeners. I will not subject them to that. <laughs> um, funny story I read where they when they were doing the filming and somebody asked Richard Keel what people might would people believe that he and this woman would fall in love because of the obvious height differences and his response was something along the lines of well she's the same height as my actual wife nice so yeah <laughs> so anyway and then we apparently drax is apparently have has uh henchmen in disguise as paramedics i like how bond first says oh thank you but we're in great shape yeah i do like this like when they're in the in the ambulance and they're both like flirting with the guy <laughs> yes <laughs> I think the intention the intention of that scene is for Bond to be like egging him on to be with her. But yeah, it Oh yeah, from definitely. The 21st century mind point. No, it's Roger Moore flirting with the guy. Yeah. <laughs> right, no. Yeah, that's me injecting current uh mode here into the scene. So like I would how many winks at the guy? I would absolutely yeah. believe that Roger Moore's James Bond is not straight. Oh, definitely. Like just through a lot of what he says and does, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's all sorts of fanfic out there. Probably. Uh, we get awkward Roger Moore fighting in the ambulance again. Oh, there's the seven-up sign. <laughs> and Roger and Roger Moore falls out of the ambulance, and the paramedic goes into a British Airways sign. Yeah, because he can't apparently jump off of the the gurney that he's on. And then for some reason we get a ride across a plane <laughs> in ponchos with the magnificent seven music yeah. play. indeed <laughs> Where where are they? I have no idea. I mean, last last we last we saw Roger Moore, he was walking up the hill in Rio, and now all of a sudden he looks like he's belongs in a western. Yeah, that's what the music's for. And we come to <laughs> M's secret South American office. Like th- this is just, <laughs> and they continue to do this, and they'll do it in, uh, in the next movie and the one after that, where they just have on location office. Everywhere they end yeah, up going. And we for talked about reason. this last week. Yeah. And the week before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least it's not M1, it's not the address of this building, like his secret submarine. And I, I do like this sort of take on the, I don't know, the, the ninja school or whatever, where they're in this monastery. And then he opens the door, and there are these two monks that are doing, like, martial arts and. The one guy gets decked, and then the monk does the sign of the cross over him. <laughs> I like the monk shooting the rubber mask with a blazer. Oh, yeah, we, we won't see that again. Nah, that's totally not foreshadowing. And I like how the laser... The laser sounds like uh, it's V'ger making contact with humans. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It had been like 30 minutes since I last referenced Star Trek, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like I do like the sound effect actually. It's it's different. It is. It's not a Star Wars sound effect. 
And also, I mean, you know, I wonder if it was the same sound effect because those two movies came both came out the same year. <laughs> Motion picture was 79 as well. And that laser sounds just like it's the same sort of like popping metal sound. Oh, and we forgot uh, he goes out to meet Q with the bolas. And he's like, balls, Q? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Q, Q has a very short tie in this scene. Um, he does. Q's like the anti-Trump here. <laughs> we get another secret uh, screen in M's office. Okay, so every off M, every office that M has has a secret screen, clearly. Yeah. I, I don't know how Bond recognizes this is a plant formula based on the... Chem I mean, maybe you can. I don't... I was never good at organic chemistry, so... I was going to say, you're the scientist. Yeah. And they happen to bring, like, a giant map of part of Brazil with them that has the location of where they have to yeah, go. Yeah, it's just like that... Well, if they are in somewhere in Brazil, it makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, but it's not all of Brazil. It's, like, part of it. Brazil's a big place, man. It is, yeah. One of the biggest countries in the world. <laughs> we get... The first Q-boat. <laughs> yes. It just makes me think of... Like, he's going through, like, the jungle-type area here. Well, he's going through the Florida Everglades. Let's be real here. Um, right. And... Actually, it was probably... I think it was filmed in Guatemala. Okay. Um, but it, it makes me think of Vietnam. A little like bit. A boat kind of thing. Especially once they start firing mortars. Which they can somehow aim from a boat. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that makes no sense. Well, and you know, but hey, we finally get the 007 theme again. We f we do, for the last time. Sadly, I was sure. Like in my head, it happens multiple times in the Moore era, but my head is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it apparently happens w once. In the more era, <laughs> yeah, those are some really good minds that he drops. Yeah, much better than the. Uh... Also, did you, did you like the, the close torpedo. up of the of the name of the name make and model of the boat? Mm-hmm. Definitely, if I'm gonna be you know <laughs> cruising the Amazon running from mortars, I'll make sure to uh, get a glass drawn Carlson. There you go. We also have bad rear projection when Jaws is shooting at him. Oh. We have very bad reprojection here. Again, it's like they've regressed a little bit. Like, most of it is okay, but the the shots of Jaws are terrible. But I do like his, you know, his hang glider that he just had ready to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like Q had this stuff planned out where he has three buttons. He has the mines, the torpedo, and the hang glider. He's sure lucky that... I guess because of the speed of the boat, there was enough airspeed for it to actually do something. Yeah. Jaws reaches down to stop the boat, but he just pulls the steering wheel off. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you get yet another close-up of Jaws looking, I don't know, like, oh dear. With terrible on, That he gets on his face every time something bad's about to, Yeah. Yeah, all the effects of this waterfall thing are pretty poor. Also, the rear projection doesn't even match the scene. Like, if you look at the wide shot of him about to sh about to go over the waterfall, and then you cut to rear projection, there's, like, trees right behind him somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Try harder, rear projection guys. Seriously. So Bond just lands. Uh, the rear projection of Bond on the glider is not very good either. It's better but, than Jaws. And somehow Bond manages to land, like, right where the temple is that he needs to find. Well, that's just 
that's just James Bond luck, man. That's how it always works. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't have a change of clothes this time. His uh, reversible jacket. Yeah, or something, you know. <laughs> At least have the breakaway yeah, pants. Exactly. I mean, you're not even trying. He's not even trying anymore. So then he, we see the receptionist from the glass blowing shop. She like beckons him in. And there is some. There is there's some nipple tape doing very hard work in her outfit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's definitely that that nipple tape deserves an Oscar. I mean, it does a lot of <laughs> It's it's doing a lot of it, it's trying very hard. It's doing a lot. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we see the rest of the very attractive women who are part of what we don't know yet know is Drax's, you know, group to repopulate the, yeah. Perfect humans. Yeah. And again, just shoot him, but no, we'll let him fall into the water with a bow constrictor. So, okay, but I, I actually really like the, hey, there's a bridge. I'm not going to go over the bridge because I've seen this movie before. And he goes around and then the rock flips him over. <laughs> that is good, yes. Although that one particular rock does look completely different than the other rocks. <laughs> it, that, that is true. <laughs> and none of these rocks look like rocks. <laughs> they all look very much like something that's made to look like rocks. Yeah. <laughs> it... it this whole set reminds me of like a bad museum exhibit. Yes. Although I I, I can't help but think of the uh, scene in the in the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever because it looks kind of like that too. Oh, where the with the rocks in the cave with the mud thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. These are some shiny rocks. Mm-hmm. And we have Chekhov's pen again. Chekhov's pen makes its makes its second yes, appearance. I should say yes. The snake got the point. Yeah. I feel like Jaws should have dried off a bit by now. You'd have thought so. I mean, it is humid there. True, but... Also, what are those security guards wearing? (laughs) (laughs) That... Yeah, those... Like, okay, I realize the outfits themselves, the jumpsuits, are like the spacesuits, but what are they wearing on their heads? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it almost looks like the inside of a helmet, like a spacesuit helmet. Yeah, it does, a little. Maybe that is what it is. But it's still very interesting. Um, by now, Drax has received his standard issue Bond villain outfit. I mean, he, he's worn some pretty Bond villain-esque things already, but yes. What is the chest badge that he always wears? Is it just the, the Drax symbol? Might be? Yeah, I guess it is. It looks like the Moonraker on it. Okay. Yeah. I really like this set, though, that he's... In, like, his chair is ludicrous, mm-hmm. but... Oh, no, I like the... I really like this set. I like set. the leaning walls of screens. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about uh, the black hole. This feels like it would fit right in with that movie, actually, <laughs> This the way this looks. But this is where we get the obligatory Bond villain monologue about, you know, what's going on, how he's going to wipe out humanity and repopulate it with people he has deemed to be perfect specimens mm-hmm. and things like that. And again, it's it's very similar to... Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me, it just seems better done to me. And I, I don't know if, if it's just because I've seen this, I saw this movie first and I have a hard time objectively looking at it so much, but... You sly dog, you got me monologuing. 
Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, Star Trek references, it looks like these uniforms that they're wearing have the same zipper pull that Captain Kirk had in the Nexus. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. And <laughs> the thing I really enjoy about this, and, and you know, we were talking about it before we started, is the only reason that Drax is stopped is because he had a production problem with one of his space shuttles. Yep. And that's why he had to steal the one at the very beginning of the movie. And if that hadn't happened, everyone would probably be dead now. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, but it also seems odd. Uh, like, yeah. he, he could have just held off until he had fixed the one that developed a problem, or he had built another one. He already made mm -hmm. at least seven of these. Yep, fix, fix the broken piece. Yeah, or, or something. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I do yeah. like that. It, it was all sort of accidental. And then he mm -hmm. sends Bond and Goodhead into the room that is clearly only there to exterminate people. Yeah, who who has meetings underneath the space shuttle? Because <laughs> yeah. they have like the giant conference table thing that is there originally. Yes. <laughs> and Bond uses his explosive watch. And they totally wouldn't... There's no way they would have been able to crawl ahead of that explosion that... Um, fire. No. They would be dead. No. They would be dead, yes. I agree. It was awfully nice of them to launch five shuttles so quickly and then wait on Moonraker 6 so they could get on it. Mm -hmm. um, now, is he launching these shuttles from all over the world, or are they all in the same I think they're all in the same area place. Because cause, cause there's a whole different whole bunch of variety of terrains that we see from these shuttles as they're launching. No, I think they're all in the same place. Like, what Okay, because one looks like it's out in the desert, and then the second one looks like it's up in the Alps or something, or in some kind of higher up in the mountains. I don't know, it's just, just curious. But there's no way you could keep these launches secret. I wouldn't think so. People would see them. And then it gets even weirder once we're launched into space. Also, the shuttles fly upside down in space because they're, they would actually fly with the bottom towards the sun as a heat shield. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. But we can forgive them because the shuttle has not yet actually flown when this movie was made. Right. But when they get to the space station, the giant space station in orbit of Earth that is invisible to radar. Okay. Yes, you can do things to make something invisible to radar, but it still would be visible to mm -hmm. the naked eye. It would be. I mean, you know, there there are a lot of people that watch the sky to see stuff. Like someone would have seen this. Yeah, you would think somebody would have seen it. Uh, I mean, people have seen the International Space Station fly over. Yeah, and um, even then, there's. I mean, there are there are plenty of apps available for your smartphone to find where the International Space mm -hmm. Station is, so you can go look for it. Right, and there's people that like use telescopes to look at things. They would have seen this. Yeah. So, I mean, I have the movie playing right mm -hmm. now, and how much money did Drax sink into this like giant cave lair thing? Well, I mean, it's it's a requirement of everybody. Did he take over an abandoned mine or something, or what? <laughs> Everybody's got to have the cave lair. It's standard issue villain lair. Yeah. yeah. Every Bond villain worth his stuff has a cave lair. Yeah. So, yeah, but that space station is big and would be visible from the Earth. It, it absolutely would be, you're right. I mean, they in, in Diamonds Are Forever, they could see the little diamond satellite from the cruise ship they were right. on at the very end. So... I mean, I'm not saying that's realistic, <laughs> but... Are you saying Diamonds Are Forever was not a perfectly realistic film? 
It absolutely was totally realistic. <laughs> so, yeah, th th this whole thing, I mean, I love this. The Everything on the space station, it's ridiculous and awesome. And it doesn't spin nearly fast enough for a simulated 1G gravity. No, it, it does not. Uh... They have they have a lot of trouble understanding how gravity works in this movie, actually. Yeah, because there's like the room you go from one room with gravity, and then you go through a door, and the next room doesn't have gravity. It doesn't work that way either. No, uh, I mean, and just because you're spinning, like you might have gravity out of the very outside of the spokes, but once you get into the middle, that's where there would be no yep. gravity, and they would be on the side of the th anyway. <laughs> yes. So this is where we completely learn the plan that these are all perfect specimens who are going to repopulate the earth with you know perfect humans which this feels a bit like they're taking references from the book because in the book hugo drax is a literal nazi right so that this sounds like a very nazi thing to do it really does uh yeah and we see space nazis. general gogo in his red pajamas yes <laughs> oh yeah sorry bond and bonding good night or it's not good head, good head yeah. <laughs> uh turn off the radar jamming thing by pulling it out of the thing or whatever yes and that's when yeah the, the americans and the russians are like is it yours is it yours but yes we have general google in his red pajamas with his filigreed mirror and it's snowing outside because you got to make sure he, they know he's in russia yep i mean watching him walk around i'm gonna guess that his telephone line is not connected to anything no. either unless he's but carrying his phone, the phone is around. red <laughs> it is red there is a cord attached to it though i will say that they did at least put a cord yeah there on. is yeah uh this is if i remember correctly this is not the first time where we find general gogol in bed with a woman during his scene either that doesn't make that doesn't surprise me so then we apparently had a U.S. space shuttle already on the pad, ready to launch. That was convenient. Yeah, it was, because that stuff and takes there time. there was a launch window that worked for it to come up to that space station, too. That was also really convenient. Yeah, very. It's almost like they're not quite sure how space shuttle launches <laughs> work. Yeah. And, you know, you said that they, uh, all these Moonrakers that got launched, they, somebody would notice. I mean, the minute that shuttle takes off, somebody up in the space station is like, hey, they're launching a space yeah. shuttle. And then, I guess... Drax is looking through a periscope or something. I don't know what also, he's doing. Also, they can't but... fool me. They launch, uh, they launch globe number two, but they really just showed us the same footage of globe number one. <laughs> I believe so. And this is when they're, you know, the Bond and Goodhead are watching the globes launch, and Jaws finds them, and then brings them to Hugo Drax, who then has the best line of any Bond villain, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. James Bond, you appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. Which, I just love that line so much. His <laughs> statement to Goodhead and his delivery about is her perfect. Desire to be the first woman in space will soon be fulfilled is less good. Yeah, that's not quite as good. But Bond does put plant the seeds of doubt in Jaws. Yeah, I mean, I sort of like this, but. What Jaws suddenly becomes their friend immediately. Also, I wouldn't really call Jaws's Jaws girlfriend as uh, what because she has glasses. I mean, yeah. I mean, I wear glasses. Come on, I, Drax. Well, Drax wants to kill you. Um, I, I right. actually wear glasses sometimes. So I, 
my eyes are reasonably mm-hmm. good, but I can see slightly better with glasses. Also, I want to know why the why the TV because it's totally a TV that the guy at the control panel is <laughs> looking at has three coax ports on the back of it. <laughs> I, that I didn't notice. Like, what are the other two for? Continue. <laughs> we're we're continuing our discussion of antiquated technology. Here. Yeah. Uh, they have the laser target lock, which has the exact shape of the shuttle. That's convenient. That is convenient. Yeah. And the simulated gravity goes down to zero, and everyone goes flying in various yeah, directions. Which also shouldn't. Well, no. Okay. Normally, you would think. You would normally think that wouldn't happen. Yeah, you would go up in the air. But, in this case, because the simulated gravity was caused by the station spinning, with it suddenly stopping, inertia Mm -hmm. would make them move. Right, but they would go up. you are not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Or all in the same direction. Here they go every which way. But that is a common thing in sci-fi when they lose gravity, everyone suddenly starts moving around. It's like that's not how that works. Like you need right. The, you would need a reason. Like yeah, anyway. But but thankfully we know that they're in 0G because everyone moves slowly now. Yes. But they still managed to send a bunch of soldiers out into the out, out into space to fight the incoming marines. So Right. The American shuttle opens up and all these Marines come out. There are way too many mm-hmm. Marines to fit in that shuttle. Correct. And here's where we get the V'ger guns going at each other. So so th- this is that is the line that you draw for realistic here? <laughs> that there's too many Marines exactly, in that space yeah. shuttle? I have no issues with the laser guns, obviously. The laser gun is also... Now, is the implication oh, here sorry. that... The laser gun is also available in um, as a gun for multiplayer uh, games in uh, GoldenEye for the N64. Oh, yes. is it really? <laughs> is it a good one yeah, to have? Yeah, it works pretty well. They call it the Moonraker laser. Nice. So is the implication... So at, at some point here, the station starts to break up. Is the implication just that it got hit by lasers or... Yeah, I don't know why the station suddenly starts falling apart. There's no real explanation yeah. for it okay because i mean they start the gravity going again i do like how the space shuttle says marines on it <laughs> when the marines don't fly but anyway well, no not usually but yeah usually it would either be the navy or the air force that would have well okay if you think I mean, about or it nowadays they'd have space if force you think but, about it it actually know. isn't that odd for the marines because Think about the Marines' original purpose. They were the soldiers yeah. aboard a ship. So right. it's not that weird. Eh, maybe not. Hey, Star Trek even did it with the Makos. That's, yeah, that's true. You're right. So at this point, the... Uh... God, those helmets are ridiculous. <laughs> um, or whatever you call them. The the Marines have taken over the shuttle, or the, the space station. Uh... They basically rounded up all of Drax's men, and Drax is trying to escape here, and Bond goes after him, mm-hmm. right? I think. Yeah, Bond goes after him. And... At least I shall have the pleasure of putting you out of my misery. It's a good line. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's another good line. They 
desolated Mr. Bond. Mr. Heartbroken Mr. Take Drax. a giant step for mankind. Yeah. <laughs> right. That one's better than the later one where he's like, oh, he had to fly. Yes. And then everybody has to get off the space station right away because it's about to break up. And this is where Jaws yep. saves the day. And somehow they manage to get back. Somehow. Without burning up or whatever. It's Jaws. Yeah. And we get Jaws was one spoken line, too. Yes. Popping open a, court, a bottle of champagne with his teeth. Here's to us. And here's to us. And then... I, mean, I, oh, I don't... I don't really mind the Jaws and Love stuff yeah. so much. It's I fine. know it's another one that people make fun of a lot. It works. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Uh, then I like a, I don't know. Maybe the shuttlecraft is driven with just a joystick. I don't know. Or shuttlecraft. Uh, space shuttle. <laughs> but they have to chase down the globes and destroy them. And when they're getting to the last one... Uh, they're they're in the atmosphere so they don't have as much control anymore and goodhead says the controls aren't responding and bond responds with just hold her steady um how <laughs> were you not paying attention <laughs> also when he shoots the globe it's not in the crosshairs it's like below the crosshairs is there laser bullet drop <laughs> Maybe, or there was distortion from the atmosphere. I don't know necessarily. Or does Bond was Bond just using um, was Bond playing on easy mode with auto aim? No, because he misses a couple times. Maybe he then adjusts difficulty. <laughs> oh yeah, down. that makes sense. And how do they have an audiovisual feed of Drax's shuttle? That's a that's a really good question. I don't know. I mean, it it's how every Bond movie ends. And they're anymore. patching it directly to White House to the White House in Buckingham Palace. What could go wrong? <laughs> now the question is, who will be more shocked, Jimmy Carter or Queen Elizabeth? Ooh. <laughs> well, it's better than next next week when we get uh, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Most things are better than getting Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher talking to a parrot. Yeah, most things are better than Margaret Thatcher, to be fair. This is true. Very good point. This is where we get the great Q line, though. My God, what's Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. And I like how Bond just sort of smiles at the camera before turning it off. So, but this does actually raise a question. How are they having sex floating in the middle of the air? Like, don't you need something to... Like, the physics of this don't really make sense to me. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... <laughs> don't you need something to push off of? I'm sure it's possible, I... I mean, I guess you you have each other, I guess, but they'd probably be drifting around then. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't, yeah. These are things I've not put much thought into before. That's fair. It's probably not something yeah. that's ever going to come up for you. <laughs> I mean, Holden's able to do it in the first episode of The Expanse. That's true, you're right. And if, and if it's on The Expanse, it probably is possible, because they actually are trying to be, you know, a little bit more realistic with physics and everything so now we have filmed on location in italy brazil guatemala usa and outer space wait it was actually filmed in usa <laughs> well there's the shot at lax right they... <laughs> yeah 
And don't forget that outer space it has an exclamation point, so it's and outer space. So I guess they actually did film it in space? Parts of it? I'm going to assume no. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah. Here you go. The producers gratefully acknowledge the assistance and cooperation of 7-Up. Nice. Oh, they, they also had some scenes at the Kennedy Space <laughs> Center. Ah. Okay. So yes, LAX and the Kennedy Space Center. I love it. In... On the James Bond wiki, they list the film locations. They list outer space with the exclamation point. Excellent. And it, outer space has its own page in the James Bond wiki, sadly without the exclamation point. Ah. <laughs> outer space is the location for the 1979 oh. movie Moonraker. <laughs> you know, you could go in and edit that and add the exclamation point. Yeah, but I'll probably get someone mad at me. There's probably, if I go to the talk page on it, there's probably... <laughs> paragraphs of people arguing over whether or not to use the exclamation point yeah and that's that's it for the movie other than the disco version of the moonraker theme that we get at the very end here i kind of like it which is a choice it, it, yeah it's not bad i like it better than the disco bond theme from the from the last movie i i will i will defend bond 77 <laughs> to to the end i I'm a, I'm a fan of bond 77 i'm not a fan of much of that score but i like that that take on it so any uh so any thoughts on the film now that we've made it through it's fun yeah i would call i would say that it is ridiculous but also amazing i think that's fair it knows that it's campy and silly and it embraces it and it does it pretty well i i mean i'm happy to be finally not to knock last week because last week was good too uh, i'm happy to be having fun with these films again yes which I hadn't been having fun for several weeks in a row. Well, we had fun last week. Yes, we did. Like, yeah, last week was fun. This week was fun. Um, next week is fun for yeah. the most part mm -hmm. for me, uh, as, as I recall. I haven't seen are, it in a while. There are definitely good parts next week. Then we're in a bit of a... There are also very cringy parts, yeah. but... Oh, interesting. There's apparently a novelization of the film that's called James Bond and Moonraker. Because they couldn't just call it Moonraker. <laughs> and I believe it was written by Christopher Wood. It was. He also wrote James Bond, The Spy Who Loved Me. And those are the those are the ones that, if I remember them correctly, at least the paperback version, say the book of the film with an exclamation <laughs> point on it. If you look at the cover. Nice. The cover here in the wiki doesn't show that, but that's that's still amusing. Can can you imagine though, I mean, I I don't know if it was as common in nineteen seventy nine as it is now, but to say, oh, that was a great movie. I'm going to go buy the book Moonraker and then the surprise you would have reading that <laughs> novel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you. I think you would already have that with some of the others, but yes. I am really enjoying Moonraker, the book. Oh, for, oh, um, for sure. I'm especially enjoying the uh, audiobook version because it's read by Bill Nye, the British actor. Yeah, oh, nice. So it's... So I'm really enjoying. It. Apparently, they get a they get some sort of celebrity to, or some sort of British actor to read all of them. Apparently, I believe David Tennant reads one of them. Ooh, that'll be that'll be interesting. Uh, Casino Royale was read by Dan Stevens of Downton Abbey. Oh, okay. He has a good voice too. I would... he does. What is the next book after Moonraker? Uh, Diamonds Are Forever, I think. Okay. Diamonds Are Forever. Then. Um... From Russia with Love, and then do uh, Dr. No. Nice. 
so it'll be it'll be a while before I can compare a movie to a book again on the podcast. Yes. Probably will not happen uh. <laughs> again. Actually, <laughs> this one and Live and Let Die are probably. Well, when we when we get to Casino oh, Royale, that's true. when we get to Casino we'll Royale, this one, this one, yeah. Live and Let yeah. Die and Casino yeah. Royale, I'll be able to compare to the books. Otherwise, not so much. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for listening to us this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at PodSpiel, or you can send us an email at spielpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. And you can find me on Twitter at Listening to Film. Do you have any final thoughts about Moonraker? I think I've covered most of the... You have anything else to tell us about Moonraker? I do not. This is the end of Moonraker, but License to Spiel will return with Fear Eyes Only. (laughs) 